Chapter thirty four of Demos, a story of English socialism. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Demos, a story of English socialism by George Gissing. Chapter thirty four. Adela had never seen him so smitten with grave trouble. She knew him in brutal anger and in surly ill temper, but his present mood had nothing of either. He seemed to stagger beneath a blow which had all but crushed him and left him full of dread. He began to address her in a voice very unlike his own. Thick, uncertain. He used short sentences, often incomplete. Those men are on the committee. One of them got a letter this morning, anonymous. It said they were to be on their guard against me. Said the company's a swindle that I knew it, that I've got money out of the people on false pretenses. And Hillary's gone, gone off, taking all he could lay hands on. The letter says so. Oh, I don't know. It says I'm thick with the secretary, a man I never even saw. That he's a well-known swindler. Delancey his name is. And these fellows believe it, demand that I shall prove I'm innocent. What proof can I give? They think I kept out of the way on purpose this morning. He ceased speaking, and Adela stood mute, looking him in the face. She was appalled on his account. She did not love him. Too often his presence caused her loathing. But of late she had been surprised into thinking more highly of some of his qualities than it had hitherto been possible for her to do. She could never forget that he toiled first and foremost for his own advancement to a very cheap reputation. He would not allow her to lose sight of it had she wished. But during the present winter she had discerned in him a genuine zeal to help the suffering, a fervour of kindly works of which she had not believed him capable. Very slowly the conviction had come to her, but in the end she could not resist it. One evening, in telling her of the hideous misery he had been amongst, his voice failed and she saw moisture in his eyes. Was his character changing? Had she wronged him in attaching too much importance to a fault which was merely on the surface? Oh, but there were too many indisputable charges against him. Yet a man's moral nature may sometimes be strengthened by experience of the evil he has wrought. All this rushed through her mind as she now stood gazing at him. "'But how can they credit an anonymous letter?' she said. "'How can they believe the worst of you before making inquiries?' "'They have been to the office of the company. Everything is upside down. They say Hillary isn't to be found.' "'Who can have written such a letter?' "'How do I know? I have enemies enough, no doubt.' Who hasn't that makes himself a leader? There was the wrong note again. It discouraged her. She was silent. Look here, Adela, he said. Do you believe this? Believe it? Do you think I'm capable of doing a thing like that, scraping together by pennies the money of the poorest of the poor just to use it for my own purposes? Could I do that? You know I do not believe it. But you don't speak as if you were certain. There is something. But how am I to prove I'm innocent? How can I make people believe I wasn't in the plot? 
They've only my word. Who'll think that enough? Anyone can tell a lie and stick to it if there's no positive proof against him. How am I to make you believe that I was taken in? But I tell you that a doubt of your innocence does not enter my mind. If it were necessary, I would stand up in public before all who accused you and declare that they were wrong. I do not need your assurance. I recognize that it would be impossible for you to commit such a crime. Well, it does me good to hear you say that, he replied, with light of hope in his eyes. I wanted to feel sure of that. You might have thought that, he sank his voice, that because I could think of destroying that will. Don't speak to me of that, she interrupted with a gesture of pain. I say that I believe you. It is enough. Don't speak about me any more. Think of what has to be done. I have promised to be in Clerkenwell at eight o'clock. There'll be a meeting. I shall do my best to show that I'm innocent. You'll look after Alice? It's awful to have to leave her whilst she's like that. Trust me, I will not leave her side for a moment. The doctor will be here again tonight. A thought struck him. Send out the girl for an evening paper. There may be something in it. The paper was obtained. One of the first headings his eye fell upon was Rumored Collapse of a Public Company, Disappearance of the Secretary. He showed it to Adela, and they read together. She saw that the finger with which he followed the lines quivered like a leaf. It was announced in a brief paragraph that the secretary of the Irish Dairy Company was missing, that he seemed to have gone off with considerable sums. Moreover, that there were rumours in the city of a startling kind relative to the character of the company itself. The name of the secretary was Mr. Robert Delancey, but that was now believed to be a mere alias. The police were actively at work. "'It'll be the ruin of me,' Mutimer gasped. "'I can never prove that I knew nothing. You see nothing said about Hillary. It's that fellow Delancey who has run.' "'You must find Mr. Hillary,' said Adela urgently. "'Where does he live?' "'I have no idea.' I only had the office address. Perhaps it isn't even his real name. It'll be my ruin. Adela was astonished to see him so broken down. He let himself sink upon a chair. His head and hands fell. But I can't understand why you should despair so. You will speak to the meeting tonight. If the money is lost, you will restore it. If you have been imprudent, that is no crime. It is, it is, when I had money of that kind entrusted to me. They won't hear me. They have condemned me already. What use is it to talk to them? They'll say everything comes to smash in my hands. She spoke to him with such words of strengthening as one of his comrades might have used. She did not feel the tenderness of a wife, and had no power to assume it. But her voice was brave and true. She had made his interest, his reputation, her own. By degrees he recovered from the blow, and let her words give him heart. "'You're right,' he said. "'I'm behaving like a fool. I couldn't go on differently if I was really guilty. Who wrote that letter? I never saw the letter before, as far as I know. I wanted to keep it, but they wouldn't let me. Trust them.' What blackguards they are! They're jealous of me. They know they can't speak like I do.' 
that they haven't the same influence I have, so they're ready to believe the first lie that's brought against me. Let them look to themselves to-night. I'll give them a piece of my mind, see if I don't. What's today? Friday? On Sunday I'll have the biggest meeting ever gathered in the East End. If they shout out against me, I'll tell them to their faces that they're mean-spirited curs. They haven't the courage to rise and get by force what they'll never have by asking for it. And when a man does his best to help them, they throw mud at him. But they won't do so, Adela urged. Don't be unjust. Wait and see. They will shout for, not against you. Why didn't you keep Arry here? he asked suddenly. He refused to stay. I gave him money. You should have forced him to stay. How can I have a brother of my own living a life like that? You did wrong to give him money. He'll only use it to make a beast of himself. I must find him again. I can't let him go to ruin. Arry had come back to Holloway the previous night to inform Adela that her husband might not return till morning. As she said, it had been impossible to detain him. He was too far gone in unconventionality to spend a night under a decent roof. Homesickness for the gutter possessed him. In the meantime Alice had become quieter. It was half-past six. Mutimer had to be at the meeting-place in Clerkenwell by eight. Adela sat by Alice whilst the servant hurriedly prepared a meal. Then the girl took her place, and she went down to her husband. They were in the middle of their meal when they heard the front door slam. Mutimer started up. "'Who's that? Who's gone out?' Adela ran to the foot of the stairs and called the servant's name softly. It was a minute before the girl appeared. "'Who has just gone out, Mary?' "'Gone out? No one, Mum.' "'Is Mrs. Rodman lying still?' The girl went to see. She had left Alice for a few moments previously. She appeared again at the head of the stairs with the face of alarm. "'Mrs. Rodman isn't there, Mum!' Mutimer flew up the staircase. Alice was nowhere to be found. It could not be doubted that she had fled in a delirious state. Richard rushed into the street, but it was very dark and rain was falling. There was no trace of the fugitive. He came back to the door where Adela stood. He put out his hand and held her arm as if she needed support. "'Give me my hat. She'll die in the street in the rain. I'll go one way. The girl must go the other. My hat!' "'I will go one way myself,' said Adela hurriedly. "'You must take an umbrella. It pours. Mary, my waterproof!' They ran in opposite directions. It was a quiet by-street, with no shops to cast light upon the pavement. Adela encountered a constable before she had gone very far, and begged for his assistance. He promised to be on the lookout, but advised her to go on a short distance to the police station and leave a description of the missing woman. She did so, then, finding the search hopeless in this quarter, turned homewards. Mutimer was still absent, but he appeared in five minutes, as unsuccessful as herself. She told him of her visit to the station. "'I must keep going about,' he said. "'She can't be far off. Her strength surely wouldn't take her far.' Adela felt for him profoundly. For once he had not a thought of himself. His distress was absorbing. He was on the point of leaving the house again, when she remembered the meeting at which he was expected. She spoke of it. "'What do I care?' 
he replied, waving his arm. "'Let them think what they like. I must find Alice.' Adela saw in a moment all that his absence would involve. He could, of course, explain subsequently, but in the meantime vast harm would have been done. It was impossible to neglect the meeting altogether. She ran after him and stopped him on the pavement. "'I will go to this meeting for you,' she said. "'A cab will take me there and bring me back. I will let them know what keeps you away.' He looked at her with astonishment. "'You! How can you go? Among those men?' "'Surely I have nothing to fear from them. Have you lost all your faith suddenly?' You cannot go, but someone must. I will speak to them so that they cannot but believe me. You continue the search, I will go. They stood together in the pouring rain. Mutimer caught her hand. I never knew what a wife could be till now, he exclaimed hoarsely, and I never knew you. Find me a cab and give the man the address. I will be ready in an instant. Her cheeks were on fire. Her nerves quivered with excitement. She had made the proposal almost involuntarily. Only his thanks gave her some understanding of what she was about to do. But she did not shrink. A man's, better still a woman's, noblest courage throbbed in her. If need were, she too could stand forward in a worthy cause and speak the truth undauntedly. The cab was bearing her away. She looked at her watch in the moment of passing a street lamp, and just saw that it was eight o'clock. The meeting would be full by this. They would already be drawing ill conclusions from Mutimer's absence. Faster, faster! Every moment lost increased the force of prejudice against him. She could scarcely have felt more zeal on behalf of the man whom her soul loved. In the fever of her brain she was conscious of a wish that even now that love could be her husband's. Ah, no, no. But serve him she could, and loyally. The lights flew by in the streets of Islington. The driver was making the utmost speed he durst. A check among thronging vehicles anguished her. But it was past, and here at length came the pause. A crowd of perhaps a hundred men was gathered about the ill-lighted entrance to what had formerly been a low-class dancing saloon. Adela saw them come thronging about the cab, heard their cries of discontent and of surprise when she showed herself. "'Wait for me,' she called to the driver, and straightway walked to the door. The men made wait for her. On the threshold she turned." "'I wish to see some member of the committee. I am Mrs. Mutimer.' There was a coarse laugh from some fellows, but others cried, "'Shut up, she's a lady.' One stepped forward and announced himself as a committee man. He followed her into the passage. "'My husband cannot come,' she said. "'Will you please show me where I can speak to the meeting and tell them the reason of his absence?' Much amazed, the committee man led her into the hall. It was whitewashed, furnished with plain benches, lit with a few gas-jets. There was scarcely room to move for the crowd. Every man seemed to be talking at the pitch of his voice. The effect was an angry roar. Adela's guide, with difficulty, made a passage for her to the platform. For it took some time before the crowd realized what was going on. At length she stood in a place whence she could survey the assembly. 
On the wall behind her hung a great sheet of paper on which were inscribed the names of all who had deposited money with Mutimer. Adela glanced at it and understood. Instead of being agitated, she possessed an extraordinary lucidity of mind, a calmness of nerve which she afterwards remembered as something miraculous. The committee man roared for silence, then in a few words explained Mrs. Mutimer's wish to make a speech. To Adela's ears there seemed something of malice in this expression. She did not like either the laugh which it elicited. But quiet was speedily restored by a few men of sturdy lungs. She stepped to the front of the platform. The scene was a singular one. Adela had thrown off her waterproof in the cab. She stood in her ladylike costume of home, her hat only showing that she had come from a distance. For years her cheeks had been very pale. In this moment her whole face was white as marble. Her delicate beauty made strange contrast with the faces on each side and in front of her, faces of rude intelligence, faces of fathomless stupidity, faces degraded into something less than human. But all were listening, all straining towards her. There were a few whispers of honest admiration, a few of vile jest. She began to speak. "'I have come here because my husband cannot come. It is most unfortunate that he cannot, for he tells me that someone has been throwing doubt upon his honesty. He would be here, but that a terrible misfortune has befallen him. His sister was lying ill in our house. A little more than an hour ago she was by chance left alone, and, being delirious, out of her mind, escaped from the house.' My husband is now searching for her everywhere. She may be dying somewhere in the streets. That is the explanation I have come to give you. But I will say a word more. I do not know who has spoken ill of my husband. I do not know his reasons for doing so. This, however, I know, that Richard Mutimer has done you no wrong, and that he is incapable of the horrible thing of which he is accused. You must believe it. You wrong yourselves if you refuse to. Tomorrow, no doubt, he will come and speak for himself. Till then I beg you to take the worthy part, and credit good rather than evil. She ceased, and, turning to the committee man, who still stood near her, requested him to guide her from the room. As she moved down from the platform, the crowd recovered itself from the spell of her voice. The majority cheered, but there were not a few dissentient howls. Adela had ears for nothing. A path opened before her, and she walked along it with bowed head. Her heart was now beating violently. She felt that she must walk quickly, or perchance her strength would fail her before she reached the door. As she disappeared there again arose the mingled uproar of cheers and groans. It came to her like the bellow of a pursuing monster as she fled along the passage. And in truth, Demos was on her track. A few kept up with her. The rest jammed themselves in the doorway, hustled each other, fought. The dozen who came out to the pavement altogether helped her into the cab, then gave a hearty cheer as she drove away. The Voice of Demos 
not malevolent at the last, but to Adela none the less something to be fled from, something which excited thoughts of horrible possibilities in its very good humour and its praise of her a sound of fear. End of chapter 34